Well, before I share my sermon title and get into my opening scripture, um, we've started a new series entitled Habitudes. Somebody say Habitudes. And that, that, uh, the definition for us, Habitudes, means the habitual practice and the essential attitudes of a growing Christian. And Pastor Dean, didn't he do such an amazing job as he spoke on a call to maturity? Come on, we can give God some praise for that. And, you know, one of the things, just a bonus, we learned that maturity is not based on age. It's not about how old you are. It's how you hear and obey God. Amen. So we want to make sure that we're hearing and obeying. Um, and, and we also learned that uh, in, in, in the habitudes, it's, it's, it's a choice. It's about a renewing of the mindset, so forth and so on. Um, and I'm going to continue our sermon series again before I share my sermon title. We're going to go straight to John chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 6 and then 32 through 35. It is a long passage of scripture, so I'm abstracting uh, the meat of what I want to talk about. Many of us are familiar with this passage of scripture. It's about Jesus resurrecting Lazarus, but there is something interesting that I found in this story that stood out to me this time around. How many knows you don't ever want to get familiar with scripture? It's, a, it's, a, it's called the living word, meaning every time I read it, it can speak something different to me. Amen? So John chapter 1, uh, 1 through 6, John chapter 11, excuse me, verses 1 through 6, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. Aren't you glad that God knows the end from the beginning? No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, I just want to pause for a moment. Uh, It's for God's glory. What we have to understand is God didn't give him the sickness but he was going to use the sickness to bring glory to God. Amen? Amen. So it's very important. God has not given us sickness. God has not given us disease. In fact, Jesus came to heal us of sickness and disease. So this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha. That's very important to pay attention to. And her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, and we know that this was a sickness that can lead to death, but Jesus said it will not, he stayed where he was two more days. Now that seems a little bit insensitive, doesn't it? They sent word that uh, Lazarus was on his deathbed, and Jesus did proclaim that this is not a sickness unto death, but he still waited two days. Now, as I begin to read the rest of this passage, and I'll paraphrase for you, I believe that the Lord waited because there was a better or a more uh, divine purpose at work. They knew Jesus as healer. They knew Jesus as a lot of things, but they did not know him yet as the resurrection of life. Oh, somebody need to say amen on that. 
Jesus had the big picture in mind and knew how the outcome would end, but he did not solve the problem right away, which means sometimes delayed is not denial. Somebody needs to hear that. Just because God hasn't answered your prayer right now doesn't mean he's not going to answer it. Amen. In fact, God was using this problem, not, he didn't want to change the problem. What he was trying to do is change their perspective of the problem. That when they come across things that seem dead, when they come across things that seem like it has no life to it, that their perspective is that Jesus is the resurrection of life. Jesus can resurrect your marriage. Jesus can resurrect your business. Jesus can resurrect your life. If you only see him as a healer, you'll only go to him for healing. If you only see him as one who can give you peace, you'll only go to him for peace. If you only see him as a God of joy, you'll go to him for joy. But when you see him as the resurrector of life, you You'll bring dead things to God and you'll know that God can resurrect dead things in your life. Oh, I feel like that was a better shout that y'all could have did. So John 11, we're going to drop down to verse 32 through 35. When Mary reached this place where Jesus was and saw him, so finally Jesus went to go uh, meet Lazarus. And in the passage of scriptures in between the verse I read and the one I'm reading right now, Lazarus was dead actually for four days. Jesus tried to delay it for two days, but he ended up being dead for four days. So they're pretty upset, and this is their response. Keep in mind, Jesus knew the end from the beginning. He knew the outcome, but what we need to pay attention to is his disposition towards all of what's happening. So when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, the Bible says that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He was deeply moved and he was troubled. Now that word trouble can be translated agitation. God wasn't necessarily agitated at them. He was agitated at the effects of sin and death and what it had caused to humanity. And he says right here, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble where, have you laid him? He asked, come see, Lord. They replied, and the shortest scripture in the Bible, we see right here, Jesus wept. Somebody say, Jesus wept. In all of this, and Jesus knowing the outcome, the end to the beginning, and Jesus knowing that Lazarus was still going to be resurrected, we see Jesus still displays something that every last one of us needs in this room. He shows the ultimate expression of empathy. Somebody say empathy. Empathy is something that we all need. Empathy is something that as humanity, we are all wired for. We need to be validated. We need to be affirmed. And although Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to be resurrected, he still empathized. He wasn't like, get over it. He wasn't harsh. He wasn't like, you tripping. He, he weeped with her. He mourned with her. He empathized with her. And can I say something? If we're going to have a multi-ethnic church that has more power than the world, we're going to have to be a people of empathy because what unites black, white, brown, Mexican, uh, yellow, whatever, all socioeconomically scaled differently people is empathy. Empathy is going to help me step into your place before I try to put you in your place. 
Empathy is going to help me walk in your shoes before I try to talk about your shoes. And we see Jesus is a high priest, right? One that is not out of touch with humanity. He can sympathize with us. God so loved the world that he sent Jesus in a human form so that God can empathize with humanity's weaknesses. Oh, y'all need to hear me on that. God so loved the world that he sent himself in the form of a human being, yet he was tempted with sin, yet he had no sin, so he can understand the depravity of humanity and give them a nature that can help them overcome their sin. So the same nature that lives in Jesus, that which is in him is in us, which means that which is in us can control that which is around us. We don't have to let life, we don't have to let circumstances, we don't have to let trouble dictate our response in knowing that Jesus is the resurrector of life. Can somebody say amen? Amen. All throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are full of stories of Jesus modeling the habitude. Somebody say habitude. The habitude of empathy. Jesus is taking steps towards people's pain, towards their hunger, towards their confusion, towards their brokenness, and he comes alongside of it to help them through it. Can I get an amen? Amen. Now, I believe in order for us to do what Jesus did, we have to do what Jesus did, which means we have to model empathy, which means empathy can't be something that we pick and choose when we want to use it. It has to be a habitude. So my sermon topic of today is habitudes are hobbies. Habitudes are hobbies. Father, we just thank you for what you're going to do in this service. We thank you for those that are in person and online that you are going to speak to our hearts, spirit of the living God. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive what you are saying in this hour to us. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Somebody say habitudes are hobbies. See, the thing that I learned about habitudes, habitudes will empower and transform you, but hobbies will just entertain you. Now, uh, one of the things that I love to do uh, as a hobby is play basketball, right? So uh, actually yesterday, uh, a group of guys, we got together and we played basketball. Now, I play basketball for a hobby, but every now and then you get somebody on the court who plays basketball as a lifestyle, that it's their habits. Now, I've learned that, you know, I can't do with somebody who has a habit of playing basketball when I have a hobby of playing basketball. In other words, they may have a higher percentage of shots they make. They may can cross somebody over. They ha- they're, they're doing things that they practice uh, before the game that they are able to do in the game. And my question to us as Christians, how many of us have a habit outcome expectation with, with a hobby mindset? How many, of, uh, how many of us has a habit expectation outcome with a hobby mindset? See, when we have a hobby mindset, we will see people who have the habit of playing the game and we think because they make the shot look easy, because they make the crossover look easy, that we don't have to practice the same things to have the same outcome. But when it comes to maturity, as Pastor Dean talked about it, we can't pick and choose which part of the word we want to use and still claim breakthrough. Breakthrough comes from consistently abiding in the word. So what if you have a hobby mindset of breakthrough, excuse me, what if you have a habit 
mindset of breakthrough, but you have a hobby perspective towards it. In other words, if you say, I'll take that part of the word, but I don't want that part of the word. I'll take this part of the word, but I, I, I'll do away with that one. You'll be frustrating your own purpose and destiny because for you to have the outcomes of Jesus, you have to have the habitudes of Jesus. You, you can't approach this thing called Christianity as a hobby. See, see when, when Christianity is a hobby, you stay in fan follower mode. But when Christianity is a habitude, you go from fan follower to disciple, and now you have authority, and now you're walking in the kingdom, and you're manifesting the will of God in your life, in your spheres of influence, in your city, and in your region. So when we align our habits and our attitudes with the belief of what we say about Jesus, we'll start having the outcomes of Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen? So we're talking about habitudes. You know, uh, New Year's is coming up, right? We, we're going to start having some New Year's resolutions. For me, I don't make New Year's resolutions. I make New Year's declarations. Because I don't, need a new, I don't need a new year to change my behavior. I don't need a new year to set new goals. In fact, some of you may think that because you get a new year, a new season, a new boo, a new church, a new pastor, that you're going to get something new. But until you change your habits, until you change your attitudes, until you change your choices, you ain't going to have a new year. You're going to have a refurbished year. You're going to have a 2021 year in 2023. You just got a refurbished year disguised different, but you can keep claiming this is going to be a new year, new me, unless you have new habits, new attitudes, and and, and new thoughts, you won't have a new year. And I'm going to add something else to that. New habits, new attitudes, new thoughts, and new associations. Well, let the church say amen. Because who you hang out with will affect what you will have in your life. So if you want to change your life, you're going to have to change. Here's a better way to uh, remember it. You have to change your hat. Somebody say hat. Habits, attitudes, thoughts. Habits, attitudes, thoughts. Or habits, associations, thoughts. That's how you change your, 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 your season. You don't have to wish for a change season. You can actually put the habit to the habits and attitudes in practice. And you know that God is not a man that he shall lie. He watches over his word to perform it. So if I have the habits that are aligned with his word, if I have the attitudes that are aligned with his words, and I have the thoughts that are aligned with his words, I don't need to guess if his word going to come to pass because he's not a man that he shall lie. If I have the habits that line up with his word, I'm going to have the outcomes that Jesus has in his life. So there is a difference between empathy and sympathy. Um, I'm putting on my social emotional hat. Uh, Prior to being a pastor, I was a social emotional coordinator. And we used to always try to delineate between these two because there there is a difference. So empathy is the power of understanding and imaginatively entering into another person's feelings. I'm going to say that again. It should be on the screen. Empathy is the power of understanding and imaginatively entering into another person's feelings. The reason why Jesus was able to weep with Mary and Martha, the reason why Jesus was moved in his spirit, because he entered into their experience and he saw their pain from their perspective. That's essentially what God did. He left humanity, came down to, uh, he, he let, uh, Jesus left heaven, came down to humanity, and lived this life from our perspective so that he can show us what we need, which was his nature. 
Can I get an amen? amen? Sympathy is the act or state of feeling sorrow or compassion for another. So in other words, sympathy says, I'm sorry for your loss. Empathy says, I'm here for you. How can I help you through your loss? I'm going to say that again. Sympathy says, uh, I'm going to say it this way. Sympathy feels bad for the friend who lost their spouse. Empathy goes to visit them and dives into the ugliness of grief. Sympathy feels bad for the friend. uh, uh, Excuse me. Sympathy feels sorry for the person who got laid off from a job. Empathy meets the person for lunch and helps them find a new job. Sympathy feels sorry for the person who got, uh, uh, who's addicted and keeps falling into uh, addictive habits. Empathy sets up a plan to help provide freedom and accountability in that person's life. The church has been really good at offering sympathy, but not good enough at offering empathy. So now we have, and let me say it this way, we've been good at sharing truth, but not offering love. So now we got a whole world offering their version of love with no truth. Oh, Jesus. We have, in the past, offered a lot of truth, but we have not seasoned it with honey. We have not put it with love. We have offered sympathy. Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, one of the things I do, I I run into people all the time at the grocery stores, and they're like, Pastor, can you pray for me? I don't walk away and say, yeah, I'll pray for you. Right there in the grocery store, give me your hand. I'm going to pray with you, my brother. I'm going to pray with you, my sister, because I'm not just going to offer you sympathy. I can do that in my own nature, but because I have Christ, the fruits of the spirit in me I now have the ability from the Holy Spirit to enter into your world your perspective and get into the ugliness of what you're dealing with and I can offer empathy and I believe that's why the world doesn't want our God they want our principles but they don't want our God and the church often wants our God but don't want our principles So we, we, we need to make sure that, uh, yes, sympathy is cool. Like sympathy, it, there's appropriate times for sympathy. You send out sympathy cards, right? Because you're not there in person to meet with someone. But if we are going to grow as a multi-ethnic church, we have to move beyond sympathy and get into empathy because empathy is the bridge to compassion and compassion is the bridge to miracles. You, you, you don't see in scriptures where Jesus was moved with compassion, then a miracle happened. Jesus was moved with compassion, then another miracle happened. If you don't embrace empathy, you'll never get to compassion. You're trying to have compassion, but you ain't even started with empathy. So, but what I've learned is there is a few times where Jesus didn't offer empathy. And this is very interesting to me. Because Jesus is a very loving, empathetic uh, son of man and son of God. He's God, but he's, he's fully man and he's fully God. But the times where he didn't offer empathy was to religious leaders. He said, do as they say, not as they do. He, in fact, called them whitewashed tombs who care more about how they look on the outside, but doesn't care how they look on the inside. So... When, when I realized that Jesus doesn't show empathy to religious leaders, it made me think like, I'm sure he loves them and I'm sure he has a plan for them. But I was like, what is that? And I realized that what blocks us from empathy is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is the practice of professing standards, beliefs, contrary to one's real character or actual behavior. It is the pretense of virtual impiety. So you post, but you don't practice what you post. You tell people about their life, but you don't apply that in your own life. You're holding people to a standard that you don't even hold to yourself. That is hypocritical. That's 
why you don't have empathy. That's why it's hard for us to have empathy is when we start putting uh, stumbling blocks on people that we don't even hold ourselves to. This is why Jesus, when they tried to bring the woman who was caught in the act of adultery to stone her, and I'm gonna just go on a tangent. They, they brought her who was caught in the act of adultery, but where was the man at? You just gonna bring the woman in. There was a man involved too. <laughs> That, that's a whole nother story. That always bothers me. You're going to bring the woman, but the man gets to go free. No, he needs some accountability too. But Jesus tells the woman, uh, uh, first he tells the religious leaders, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And none of them can cast a stone because none of them was out without sin. And, and here's the best empathetic response because what we have to understand is me empathizing with you doesn't mean I have to agree with you. Me loving you unconditionally doesn't mean I have to unconditionally agree with you. Empathy doesn't change my beliefs, oh Jesus, but it does change my response. It may not change my core values. It may not change my conviction. It may not change my beliefs, but Anthony, empathy will change how I respond to you. It will change how I respond. It will change my, my tone of voice. It will change my body language. It will change me from uh, judging you to sitting down alongside of you. Somebody say empathy. empathy. Now, another word or another definition of hypocrisy out of the concordance, this is pretty interesting. An actor under an assumed character, deceitful. If it hurt, just say ouch. <laughs> I really believe that there is a line being drawn between the religious church with no power, no empathy, no love, and the church full of the spirit of God with power, with love. This is why we're seeing certain churches, uh, 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 you know, giving up their churches and things not working out. I believe that when it's a church full of love, when it's people who love each other, when it's people who are modeling the behavior of Jesus, there's not a pandemic, there's not a political uh, campaign, there's nothing that can stop or kill the church of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? amen. So there is a separation. So um, hypocrisy, as I mentioned, is how we lose empathy. Now, it made me go down a, tra a trail of thought, and you know, sometimes I feel like we get hypocritical because we try to push Jesus on a person in the form we met Jesus. So I might have met Jesus uh, here. So now I'm thinking now everybody else has to meet him the same way I meet him. And if they don't meet him the way I meet him, then you're wrong. You're, 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 you're not a Christian. I'm pushing a form on Jesus. But Jesus didn't say my sheep know my form. They said my sheep know my voice. And if we marry the form, we'll miss the presence because he is a lamb and a lion. He is the bread of life and the living word. He is the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. He is the burning bush that came to Moses. Jesus shows up in a lot of different forms. His form will change, but his voice will never change. And that's why he sent his word to us because his word with our words become the voice of God. If you want to know how to release angels over your behalf, you take this word and you speak it. And the Bible says angels hearken over the word of God. When I take his word and I speak it with my words, angels now have to listen to the word coming out of my mouth. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? I, I couldn't resist that one. 
it was there. <laughs> Perfect joke. Perfect setup. <laughs> so we are not to follow Jesus in form. God is a spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, not in form in truth, not in temple in truth and in spirit in truth, which means his Holy Spirit can live in you. It can live in me. And that's why I can't judge you for how you look. I can't judge you for your color. I can't judge you for your class because if the word can speak through a donkey, it can speak through anybody else. So you need to stop judging people how they look, how they smell, how they talk, how they spend, how they invest. God can use anybody so number one how to develop the habitude of empathy this is going to hurt a little bit number one understand you're not the hero Jesus is start with there understand you are not the hero of the story Jesus is in fact we are the antagonist of the story it was our sins that summoned a hero to take over our sins and now through Christ we're not the hero we're co-heroes when we work with his co-nature when we have his nature Oftentimes we read stories like David and Goliath and the children of Israel and we see ourselves as David Which you can have a David moment when you conquer your Goliath, but that is a foreshadow David represents Jesus Goliath represents sin and Israel represents us defenseless defenseless to this giant in need of a savior We are Israel in the story in need of a a David, a Jesus-like shadow to rescue us from the giants. Now, when you, again, when you have acknowledged that Jesus is the hero and you accept him as your hero, he now puts some co-hero DNA in you, which means you're the sidekick. You, you, you Falcon, you're not Captain America. You, you Robin, you're not Batman. So, you, you know, you got you to gotta follow, follow the leader. So understand you're not the hero Jesus is. Now, when we have the habit of seeing ourselves as the hero, we lose empathy for the villains and victims. When we have the habit of always, again, you are co-heroes through Christ. You could tell I probably watch some Marvel movies lately, huh? <laughs> When we, when, we have, when we accept Jesus, we're quote heroes, but when we only see ourselves as a hero, not in needing of a rescuer, Jesus, we then lose grace and empathy for the villains. You might see yourself as Joseph who ran from lust, but you might really be Samson who ran towards lust. You might see yourself as Mary who's very virtuous, but you might be Rahab. I don't know if I was supposed to say that one. <laughs> What I'm saying is we often see ourselves as the character we want to be versus the reality of what we really are. And if you know that whether you're a Mary or Rahab a Joseph or Samson, the grace of God came to all of them. But if I become an actor and hypocrite and act like I don't struggle with things, then I can't receive grace because when I act like I got it all together, grace does not is, is not attracted to those who pretend like they got it all together. Grace is a magnet to those who said, I need help. I need Jesus. I need something greater than me that can help me overcome this sinful nature in me. And when you have that disposition, God will take anybody and use you for his glory. Can I get an amen? 
So Jesus, the hero, took on sin, defeated death, hell, and the grace, uh, and grave, excuse me, and now we have access to his new, new nature. You didn't earn this nature. There's nothing you can do to receive the nature of Christ other than receiving Jesus. You can't perform for the fruits of the Spirit. You can only receive the fruits of the Spirit. You, you can't perform for salvation. You can only receive salvation. You can't perform for righteousness. You can only receive righteousness. Again, Jesus performed the greatest things by sacrificing his life. He is the hero of the story, y'all. He is the champion. He is the alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's my, my, my he's Jehovah Gabor. He's, he's my victory. He's my rock. He's my refuge. He's my everything. So when I lose sight that Jesus is the hero, I start to get this, uh, I start falling into the trap and temptation of self-sufficiency and thinking I can be the hero of my own story. And it was self-sufficiency that got Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden because they saw a tree. Uh, uh, it was a fruit that looked to be appeared to make one wise and look good to eat. And, and, and what Satan was introducing to them was, hey, you can be the hero of your own story. You don't need God. You'll be like God. So go ahead and take of this fruit. But, but we, we can't be like God. God is, matter of fact, if we can be like God, he wouldn't be worth serving. He is something different. He's, he's, he's bigger than us. We can yield to him and be like him through Christ. But what Satan tried to offer was God-like status without Jesus, without God. That's humanism. That's, that's what, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm my own, my own God. What's up, God? I'm my own king. No, I'm, 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 I'm little king under King Jesus. So we now have access to the fruits of the spirit. Galatians chapter five. I knew I was going to be burning up in this jacket trying to look fresh. I was like, look fresh and be hot or look cool or look not so fresh and be cool. I was like, I'm going to go with be hot. <laughs> Woo, Jesus. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> Galatians 5, through 25 says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Then it says, if we live in the spirit, let us walk in the spirit. Somebody say walk. walk. Pastor Dean alluded to it last week. Walking, it, what it means is exercise in this. Now, the thing that I learned about walking, uh, I, I often do like to walk. You get a lot of blood circulation flowing, right? Walking is good to get blood circulating through the whole body, right? And, and, and God just gave me this analogy that when Christians are walking in the spirit, the, whole, the blood is flowing through the whole body. The blood of Jesus is flowing. Healing is flowing. Peace is flowing. Provisions is flowing. And, and, and this is so important because if you understand the fruits of the spirit, you have it in seed form, but it gets developed in opportunity. I'm going to say that again. You have patience because the incorruptible seed lives inside of you, but it comes in seed form. So you grow patience, not necessarily by praying for more patience. You grow patience by praying for the awareness of when a patient opportunity presents itself, you can choose patience. Y'all didn't like that one. <laughs> I, you know, I don't, God, give me long suffering. No, he's given it to you. So God, give me the perspective, give me the awareness when a long-suffering opportunity presents itself, I yield to that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. 
And this is why the Bible says in Romans 8, 5 through 8, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. In other words, the flesh is a mindset. You set it. If you can set your mind to the flesh, you can unset it to the righteousness of Christ. So if I can set my mind to perversion, to lust, and I can predetermine in my mind where I'm going to sin, then I can set my mind to peace, joy, love, righteousness, because we're not like animals. We have cognitive ability. We can think about what we're thinking about. We're not just all instinctual. We don't just act on impulse. We have that nature in us to be impulsive and to be instinctual, but we also have the ability to step out of what we want to impulsively do and think about, hey, Damien, is that the best decision that you will make right now? And then I can say to myself, you know what? It's not, and I can choose a better way. Somebody needs to think about what you're thinking about. Somebody needs to, and that's why I said, I don't make New Year's resolutions. I make New Year's declarations because what is declaration is doing? It's setting my mind for what I want in 2023. I'm, I'm praying confessions and prayers to set my mind for what God has for me to have in 2023. Can I get an amen? A few more moments and I'm a, I have a few more uh, ways we can develop empathy. Number two, ask God to help you see people the way he sees people. Ask God to help you see people the way you, he sees people. We often see people from their flaws. We see them for, for, for their sins. But Jesus doesn't see people that way. He sees them as valuable, redeemable. He sees them as gold. He sees them as precious, so much so that he died for all of humanity. Number three, I said it earlier, put yourself in their place before trying to put them in their place. Put yourself in their place. That's for the people that's a little feisty. Always want to put somebody in their place. Put yourself in their place. Look at it from their perspective before you try to put them in their place. Can I get an amen? Amen. Number four. This one's going to be a hard one for some of y'all. Suspend judgment and offer mercy. Again, one of the things that I learned in social emotional learning, it, it, in, in that background, you learn a lot about the soul and how the mind works. And it was a class that taught us about critical thinking. And they say critical thinking is you don't jump to what you see up front. You suspend judgment, gather facts so you can make an informed decision about what you're reading or what you heard. Oftentimes, we don't critically think. We just take what we felt. We just take what we heard. We just take the gossip. We just take what we saw and we go straight to judgment. But we have to critically think, uh, uh, you know, is this true? Let me gather more facts about their personality. Let me, let me go out to eat with them and understand who they are for myself before I listen to somebody else and what they said about them. One of the ways that you can stop a move of God is block somebody's influence because you didn't get along with them. That doesn't mean everybody else is not going to get along with them. It might mean because you you might have some challenges. (laughs) We are quick to point the finger to others in the challenges versus looking at ourselves first. So suspend judgment and offer mercy. In fact, scripture says mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy is somebody not getting what they do deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And that, to my next point, number five, and I got one more, remember grace. 
Remember grace. Remember you wasn't always well put together. Remember you wasn't always eloquent. Remember you didn't always have a big house. Remember you didn't always have yourself together. So when someone uh, is in version one, when you're in version 13 of your Christianity, you need to offer some grace, amen? You need to show some love, grace, and empathy. This is how we bind together. And number six, uh, James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But I'm going to read it backwards. Most people are quick to anger, quick to speak, and slow to listen. Scripture says, be quick to uh, listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But oftentimes, we are quick to anger, quick to speak. Quick to give somebody a piece of our mind. Quick to tell somebody how we feel. Quick to rush to what we think. And we are not slow to listen. I want to conclude on this. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Now, uh, the reason why I really appreciate Paul, because these, these letters, uh, like whether it's to the church of Ephesus, Galatians, Philippians, a lot of people don't know that he's writing letters to a multi-ethnic group. It's multicultural group that he's talking to. And he, he has a lot of great insight of how to stay united in Christ as a multi-ethnic church. And, and this particular passage says, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness, what is that? That sounds like empathy, compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Somebody say like-minded. Like-minded doesn't mean we have to think alike. It means that we land on how we treat each other alike. Like-minded doesn't mean we have to think alike. It means we land from Scripture how we should treat each other. We should start with empathy. We should suspend judgment. We should remember grace. So like-mindedness, how we are able to be like-minded is a person from this background, this culture, a person from this background, this culture, you have two different mindsets, but when you read the Word, we can now have a same mindset because it's deriving from the Word of God and not our own uh, interpretation. Can I get an amen? This is why I'll never put my blackness above my Christianity. I'll never put my, my title above Jesus. I, no, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Christian. I'm a child of God first. Then I'm a black and Italian man. Amen. My kingdom identity uh, surpasses any other identity. Amen. Now, my history is important. My lineage is important. My origin is important so I can understand who I am. But once I understand who I am, I submit it to my new origin, my new lineage, which is found in Christ. Because I have a new blood working through me. I have the blood of Jesus now flowing and circling through me. And I want to do a quick prayer as we close. Again, empathy is, is about taking steps towards people's pain. Now, as I was in prayer this morning, I just wrote a thought down, and forgive me if it doesn't come out eloquent, but the thought was some people can't be empathetic because you've numbed yourself to not care because you think not caring protects you, but in fact, not caring hurts you because you might have blocked some hurt and pain from not caring but you've also blocked healing and love from not caring. The same heart that we need to love is the same heart we have to hurt. So when I set walls to never get hurt again, I also set walls to never be loved again. 
God is not asking us to build walls. He wants us to set boundaries. What we learn, uh, what safety looks like, what we learn, how to bring people into our life. And I wanted to do a few prayers. I'm not going to call anybody up to the front, but we could just stand where we're at. I want to do a prayer for that person in here first that is kind of numb. You, you, you feel numb and it's hard for you to be empathetic. And you, you, you've, you've kind of put some protective layers around your heart. And although you're blocking the pain, although you're blocking the hurt, but you're also blocking the love. You're wondering why people don't see you. It's because you're not showing your heart. We can't see you if we can't see your heart. When you block your heart from hurt and pain, you've blocked yourself from being seen as well. So we do serve a good God to where if we're vulnerable and people mishandle our vulnerability, the integrity of God is that he will make sure there's a tribe, there's a community, there's a person who won't take advantage of your vulnerability. And I also want to pray for that person. And, and I, I was in this category, hypocritical. Man, I thought I was just a holy roller my first couple years of Christianity. Then I got married <laughs> and I didn't realize how hard it was to have patience, how hard it was to be long-suffering. God began to show me you were very harsh. Here it is. You were a judge of other people's sins, but you were a lawyer of your own. <laughs> we were great. I was a great advocate. I had good excuses for myself, but I didn't advocate for other people. And God had to uh, allow life to soften me up a little bit, allow life to show me a different perspective. So for those that need to be unnumbed. Now, you know what I learned about numbing? Because I used to be numb. I got hurt. I was wounded. And it made me become more harder in life. But it, it makes me think about meat and the different ways you can tenderize it. Uh, my wife cooked a pot roast the other day and it was frozen. And she just put it in water and she just marinated it. And that it started to thaw up. It, it, it softened up. But there's other times where you, you got to beat the meat. You got you to gotta tenderize it. And I, I believe that we don't have to let life beat us up for us to be tender. We can submerge ourselves in the word, the water, the word of God, the presence of God, and allow him to tenderize us in a more organic way. And I'm tired of life beating you up. I don't want life to beat you up because you're unwilling to be open. You're numb, you're callous, and you, you're missing out on life when you don't know how to be empathetic to others. In order to receive grace, you gotta give grace. In order to have friends, you gotta be friendly, right? What you sow is what you reap. So again, I'm praying for those. And if you're in here and you know you, you struggle with fault finding, criticism, and at times you're a little bit hypocritical, go ahead and stand up too. Amen. Lift your hands up, and we're going to pray. Thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for everybody in here, whether they've been on the side of being judgmental, critical, fault-finding, hypocritical, or they've numbed themselves to where they don't feel pain anymore, to where they don't feel hurt, but now they don't feel love. Now they don't have access to healing. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you begin to soften their hearts. Holy Spirit, right now, I pray that you begin to give them eyes to see through the, ends of your, through the lens of your love. God, I pray that forgiveness will have its work, that they will practice the habitude of forgiveness, the habitude of giving grace. And Lord, I pray where the enemy has held any of these people in here that are responding hostage through the mirage that, that, that they are uh, uh, 
uh, sufficient in of themselves through the mirage that they don't need anybody or through the mirage of thinking that they are better than others. God, I pray that your grace and your mercy will meet them right where they're at. I pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation to be upon them, that the eyes of their understanding will be enlightened, that they will know the hope that is in their calling. I pray this over them right now. Just put your hand over your heart and let's have everybody stand right now as we're going to close out. And let's say this together as a body, as a family. Say, Father, soften my heart. Renew my mind. Give me a sensitive spirit to follow your voice. Help me to see people the way you see them. Help me to remember grace, to suspend judgment, and offer mercy. Forgive me where I have fallen short, and I receive your forgiveness right now. In Jesus' name. Let's give God some praise right now. I'm going to go ahead and close us out. If we have a prayer team, I'm going to go ahead and ask the prayer team to come up. For anybody who still has business to do with God, uh, we're going to linger just a few more moments. But I'm going to bless the service for, for those who got to go. But if you still have some prayer, emotional, or spiritual needs that you need met, we want to encourage you to come up and receive prayer. So, Father, we thank you that we're blessed coming in and we're blessed going out. We thank you that we are the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, the lender and not the borrower, that everything we touch will prosper as long as it lines up with your kingdom. May your face shine upon us. May your peace be with us. We thank you that as we leave this place, but not your presence, your angels will encamp around about us. Lord, we ask that you would bless Glory Nights for all those that are in need of physical, mental, emotional, or whatever healing. We declare that Glory Nights is going to be their divine appointment to receive that healing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thank you again for joining us. We pray that message ministered to your heart and lifted your spirit today. Hey, to find out more about joining the RLC online family, you can find us on the Church Center app. You can also subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. God bless you.